Are you ready to embark on an adventure through the world of words? Join us on The Reading Revolution, and let's explore the exciting world of literacy together. Hello, and welcome to The Reading Revolution, a podcast dedicated to early childhood reading and literacy for all. We've got a great guest coming up for you today. Dr. Maria Murray, the founder and CEO of The Reading League, will be our guest. We're going to be talking about all things classrooms, curriculum, and getting young learners to be young bright readers. I'm your host, Josh Gregory. And again, if you want to play along at home, check out their website while we're having our awesome discussion, thereadingleague.org. Dr. Murray, thank you so much for being here with us today. We appreciate you taking some time out. It is our pleasure to have you here on The Reading Revolution. It's a pleasure to be here and congratulations on your new podcast. Thank you for having me. And it only exists with folks like you who are goodly enough Uh to say, yes, I can take some time and share our, my thoughts on literacy. So podcasts are a big deal. They are. They honestly, you know, when we decided to talk about this in the way that we do with customers and the way we do in in other outreach efforts, like this is a no brainer. Let's let's invest a little bit of time here, get yeah. some great guests on, and uh, and and see where it takes us. That's the beauty of having these conversations. Is they're organic. Let them happen, and you know. Maybe you know, inspire some folks to uh, to get involved in what we're talking about. And literacy is just so important on so many levels. Yeah, it sure is. So if you could, could you introduce yourself to our audience, talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll delve into the Reading League and uh, what's going on and what it's all about. I'd be happy to. So my name is Maria Murray, and I am talking to you from Syracuse, New York. I'm at the Reading League's headquarters here. and um, I am from Syracuse, been uh, born right up the street in the hospital here, and have worked in the central New York area my whole life um, in one capacity or another, many hats related to uh, education and literacy, especially reading instruction and reading science. So um, my passion comes from my why, and my why is the fact that reading, like you had just said, literacy is critically important. We can get into that if you'd like, um, all all that it manifests. And uh, and, uh, my why is teachers who are responsible for children, um, who it's a human right to know how to read and we know how to do it right. And I want all educators to be empowered with that knowledge and um, know that it exists and know how to implement it successfully uh, because these are beautiful souls, these little babies. And uh, to deprive them of a chance to know how to read and all that all that comes from knowing how to read is, is uh, just something I can't imagine tolerating. So that's why we do what we do here. It's a mission that's easy to love. So coming from the world of academia, I know mm-hmm. that you were um, a professor at uh, SUNY Oswego. Yes. What was the transition from teaching to, hey, I want to start an organization, a nonprofit yeah. that's focused on this? How did that happen? That's a fantastic question and and one that I chuckle about all the time. Like, how did this happen? I am always fascinated by people's, like, how did you get to be there, Joshua? Like, you know, was this in your great plan? Um, many of us start out in something hesitantly or, or deliberately and the time goes on and 
you, you turn here and you take a turn here and you get directed down there. And before you know it, you're somewhere that you had never dreamed of. And I'm, um, life is very good here. I'll be here till the end of my working career or till the day I die happily. Um, but I went into academia. I started out in secondary uh, social studies and my high school students that I was starting to work out very day, you know, one of meeting students, they can't read very well. They aren't reading. They're refusing to read. They can't handle the workload. And so I looked up um, this thing called learning disabilities that I was hearing as a result of wondering what's going on. And right here at Syracuse University is Dr. Benita Blackman. And that changed my entire <laughs> um, plan for the better. So she was an, a scientist, she's retired now, and her career was built on the shoulders of giants as well, Come and uh, prevention and remediation of reading difficulties was her, was her research passion. So I caught that bug from her in my master's, and between my master's and doctorate, I started to work at coordinating her studies. So She's the brainchild behind the study. She writes the grant. She runs the studies, but someone has to coordinate all the bolts of, <laughs> you know, getting into the schools, communicating with the schools, communicating with the teachers, uh, uh, the parents, the, the spreadsheets, the data. We had labs and computers. And so I coordinated those studies and met scientists and I was hooked. And I'm like, wow, Yale Dyslexia Center, um, Haskins Laboratories in Connecticut, Florida Center for Reading Research, going to DC and conferences and seeing these people stand up and say such amazing things. And I thought, this is amazing. Uh, but then I learned after those studies get published, who reads them? Other scientists, because they're not written for the practitioner. The, the knowledge is for the practitioner, right? The findings the cool things, how the brain reads, how the brain has difficulties reading sometime, why that is, how we can remediate it and catch kids up, and how we can prevent reading difficulties by identifying some issues early on. I mean, these things we've known for a long time from many different disciplines, figuring out the same, coming to the same, you know, consensus. So if that's why they're doing the research, why aren't those things known in the schools? Wow. <laughs> That's a well, you're big going, problem. You're, you're going from that, hey, this is all great in a vacuum. But right. how do we actually let this trickle down and get into the classroom? So I guess... Right. From my assumption, that's what the Reading League is, is focused on, that's is getting that do. knowledge into the classroom. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. I mean, it, we're a knowledge broker. So if you go on Wikipedia, if you're listening to this and you got a computer, look up Knowledge Broker. That's exactly what we are, a person or an organization that takes the findings from the people who do the finding and brings it to the practitioner. Because I think all research, medical research, you know, breast cancer research, get it to the doctors right? Um, a better and safer way to get dental x-rays, get it to the dentists, you know, um, I'm doing a lot of medical models, but um, construction, architecture, weight loads, I mean, there's people learning engineering, um, how we can have better and more fulfilling and longer, healthier lives and, and all of that. So but the education, and there's some irony, right? 
education, the whole word means, you know, uh, educating people, isn't reading a big part of that? And how can education have never had this knowledge get into it after not, to, you know, they always say, you know, research takes about seven years to get into practice. Well, how come decades have gone by? What's that about? So the hard truth um, this is not an opinion. This is the truth because I experienced it in my time, 10 years at one university or the other. And I would say almost every um, person you speak to <laughs> that has an experience in a, a school of education will say that um, the science of reading, the body of knowledge that comes from a scientific way of knowing about things cause and effect and correlations and things like that that come from experimental study, they have not typically been conducted in schools of education. They've been conducted in uh, school psychology, cognitive psychology, neuroscience, um, communication sciences and disorders. And so there's never been a cross-disciplinary um, reaching out. Um, and therefore, people responsible for teaching educators don't even know about it um problem is I would, you know, and i'm thinking because i've read some statistics and you'd be a better person to actually yeah. bring some of those up with about literacy sure. and and the failures that we're seeing mm -hmm. reading is such a fundamental aspect of of life of education of any subject that a student is you know is studying anything how has it come to this where we're looking at it saying you know, these kids are growing up and they can't read. Shouldn't that be something that should be focused on yeah. from the minute that they're born? And yeah. we just seem to have been overlooking that for the longest time. Well, I don't, I don't think you could find anybody on a corner street, put a micro microphone to their face and say, do you think reading's not important? I think it's a unanimous uh, that reading is important and necessary. I, I know that there's been this reading crisis for a long time where we only have about one third of our students reading proficiently, meaning on grade level. And they can independently read something on grade level and understand it. Um, that means two thirds of students cannot, by the way, which is alarming. Um, that's, that's the problem. And the 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 statistics are even worse if we're talking about black and brown children, right? It's not it the 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 numbers are even more dismal. So we can all agree that reading's important. Almost all of us can agree there's a problem. Some people will say, "No, there's no crisis. This is this is something that's being made up by those science of reading zealots. Our students are doing just fine in our district." Well, if that's the case, if someone says that, ask them how the bottom 20% of their students are doing. Do they do they close those gaps? Do they move out of that bottom 20% or do they just trudge along and then eventually um, barely graduate or don't graduate at all? So um, there's a lot of hidden truths and hidden or overt excuses being made um, all in the name of I don't even know what, yeah, you can always blame money, you can blame pride, you can blame um, people just not knowing, you don't know what you don't know. 
and so on. So I'm sorry if I didn't answer your question, but <laughs> it's an easy it's easy to get off topic when we discuss this for me. And your camera just went off. I don't know if you yeah, actually I was gonna say <clears throat> so sure you're there. Yeah, I'm gonna take a quick break here. So okay. Right before when I asked that last question, my yes. camera is 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 off. Oh, that's fine. I can still talk to you. Yeah, no, yeah, you can, but we need Hello. it for <laughs> there we go. Okay, I'm back. Yay, I didn't disappear. As long as I was still on and you <clears throat> What's so that? I said, as long as I, you can still. Yeah, no, I can. Yeah. I, I would let you know if I couldn't hear you. So okay, just making sure that we're a okay before we move on. Are we, we're good, right? No, no, you're fine. That, that does answer the question. I'll, I'll follow oh, up real quick with my uh, an interesting analogy that I. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. What do we got here? And that's the beauty of recording this without going live is we can do all these sorts of things. And yeah, I remember the first time I did a television interview like a you get it's seven minutes long it feels like it's two seconds <laughs> yep <clears throat> you sit down they th throw the lights on and you're like so we can, if i mess up i can change my answer nope Live no. like oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> that was not okay all right i think we're good to go here okay, okay so i'm just going to go right back into what we were talking about about you know when we were looking for things to sort of blame, but I guess yeah. I would think about sometimes when, when, when I'm looking at these, these kinds of numbers and, and these sorts of, I, I want to say crises without getting too crazy when we're yeah. talking about education, but it, it reminds me of the person who doesn't go to the dentist because they don't want to hear what's wrong yep. instead of figuring out what we can do to make sure I don't have to keep coming back to the dentist. Yes. Perfect analogy. <laughs> We all have a relatives like, eh, I don't want to hear it. If I don't go, I won't know. Exactly. And so, that's kind of a scary place to be when we're talking about children who are going to grow up and need to be productive members of society and whatever they choose to be doing to yeah. be productive in that society. Right. And, and um, low literacy is one of the top, if not the top public health crises in our nation. Public health doesn't just mean um, what we imagine when we think of health, right? We think of our physical health, our emotional health. It's the health of our nation's um, um, finance, right? If you aren't a, a reader, if you have low literacy, you are typically unemployed or underemployed. Therefore, you are not earning income that you can buy things with, you know, so you're not paying a lot of sales tax into the system. You're also probably not earning a lot of income tax that you're paying into the system. And you're also probably in need of public assistance. So money is coming out of the system to you. Now, I hate to be crude and make this about dollars and cents, but when you think about, hey, why do all of our presidents and politicians prioritize reading, they seem to know a lot about it. No, they don't know anything about it other than the bottom line. And when you have a lot of children dropping out of school at 15, 16 years old, what do they do? Where do they go? Mm -hmm. What do they become? You know, fill in the blanks. It's not, it's grim. So um, now you have the, that's the prison pipeline we're talking about, you know, the when you can't read, there's a pipeline right to prison because you're in a fight for survival now and how you're not going to have the ability to have that American dream of, you know, a, a, a career that 
gives you your basic needs, maybe some extra things, maybe a family, maybe a, a roof to call your own, you know, if that's your typical dream. You can't have that. So you're disenfranchised from society, community. We see low volunteerism, um, uh, low voting, high imprisonment, high teenage pregnancy, high dependency on public assistance and services. So it's a public health tragedy, honestly. And I'm just going to jump to the truth that there's pretty much, with very little exception, small percentage of exception, one reason why someone doesn't know how to read. Simple, put it on a, <laughs> put it on a coffee mug. It's because they aren't taught. They have not been taught. And here we go back to that whole thing. Well, did, why didn't that teacher do it? Didn't he or she want to do it? You know, they had many teachers, preschool. A lot of kids are going through universal pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, third. We have 12 to 14, 15 years in a school system, and we can't manage to teach basic code and world, you know, about our delicious world. Uh, it makes no sense. Um, so it's not that they don't care. You don't go into teaching for the money. You go into it because you, <laughs> you want to teach. You love children. Um, you want to impart knowledge to them. And so if you aren't doing it, A, it's because no one taught you how yourself, back up to higher ed, um, upriver, right? Uh, B, you learned how, but the system you're hired into doesn't provide you the support or the materials to do it, because we know there's also a problem of publishers providing what people want. And if people don't know what they want and they think they want something that's pretty ineffective and has never worked, you're gonna keep selling it to them because there's billions to be had. So uh, in, in truth, Joshua, like this is a very complex, I don't know a better way to say it. It's, I gotta say it simply, it's complex. It's not just higher ed, getting them to convince to, to include some of this in their um, syllabi and programs. It's not just making sure the teachers get it. It's not just making sure the publishers um, clean up their act and only provide, you know, uh, programs and approaches that have been shown to really assist the brain in developing that reading brain, reading self. Um, it's more. Um, it's it's teacher certification. It's making sure this that. Schools give ongoing professional development. Nobody runs a whole full career doing X, Y, or Z from what they learned in college. You get maybe a little bit of X and then Y, Z, <laughs> and so on in your career. You know, um, you learn on the job. How about um, ensuring that our state legislators, you know, include support. If we roll out initiatives, make sure that they are rolled out responsibly. So there are a number, I'm going to cheat here and go to this call to action for all stakeholders. This is from the Reading League's Defining Guide, um, which people can download for free or get one on our website if you like paper copies. But um, educators, 
have to embrace opportunities to learn about the science of reading and reflect upon their practice. District and school administrators, that is a big one because typically school administrators never learned this. Their programs do not include it. You can make some phone calls to area colleges and ask. Um, they maybe used to be a high school physics teacher and now they're an elementary principal, right? Um, school boards, those are the people who hire the administrators and the administrators are those who hire the teachers, right? Um, they have to prioritize that um, professional development for themselves and so that they can best support the educators and coaching and resources. Uh, state departments of education and schools of education, pediatricians, they do a lot of wonderful work helping to screen for early um, health-related things, but they have to learn how to prioritize screening of early speech and language developmental milestones for red flags. Uh, curriculum publishers, federal agencies, and private foundations, let's please continue to fund research. And um, policymakers, professional literacy organizations like the Reading League and, and others um, have to continue providing resources. And reading scientists keep um, investigating and also translating. And finally, parents and uh, last but never least, parents and caregivers um, take an active part and make sure that those schools and so school systems are embracing um, evidence. So there's, see how complex that is. <laughs> so how does the Reading League take all of those kind of challenges on or mm -hmm. opportunities, I, I guess we I would like be that. a better word. Uh, how, how do you get that kind of messaging out to such a vast group of people and i mean the, think of just the districts in new york state alone now times that by 50 uh, how does the reading league get this messaging out to the people it means the most to or should mean the most to thank you great question no i don't think anyone's ever asked it in that way um we have a hashtag it takes a league so what is the whole framework of a league is anyone who has skin in the game. So any any reading league, anything is never gonna be designed, developed or promoted or delivered by just one um, stakeholder group. It's not just ivory tower finger wagging. It's not pitchfork wielding this or that. You know, we are many, many, our, our logo in and of itself demonstrates, you know, um, coming together in a circle around um, reading instruction and issues related to reading instruction with all different kinds of levels of expertise and something to, to add to the, to the cause. Um, so how we do it is at first our only intent and our primary audience is like I said, at the beginning, educators, the people responsible, whether you're a tutor and a private tutoring, um, uh, in a, place where new immigrants coming in will need to learn adult uh, volunteer programs. You know, if someone needs to learn how to teach someone to read, that's our main audience. And how we have done that is live events, conference, um, the Reading League Journal. Um, my gosh, uh, we have an online academy for for um, taking what we call knowledge blocks, not, not classes per se, 
these are not they're virtual cameras on and they are synchronous not asynchronous i love asynchronous learning but it's awful tempting to go put a load of laundry in or <laughs> take a call you know turn your camera off this is pretty intensive with an expert um so we find ways to um get to educators our best and um our goal is our professional development partnerships with schools. A lot of people don't know we do this yet. We are building it carefully in a way that there's um, the highest possible expertise and delivery and consistency um, in its de in the delivery. And so we have, oh, approaching 100 school district partners across the country but you know, there's thousands and thousands, right? There's there's plenty of work to be done. How do they all get reached? Um, we also have a state chapter network, which is something we can't imagine ever not having. Like there is no reading league without our chapters. And so we currently have 29 state chapters and every year we bring on five more. So next 2024, we'll have 34 cha state chapters who are their own nonprofit 501c3 organizations. They're required to do at least three. They can, they're free to do more, but they're volunteers. So they, they, but they do such a beautiful job of delivering professional development for educators in their states and beyond. It's always online. So if you, you can sign on to one in Virginia, one that's happening in New Mexico and so forth. So last year, over 250 uh, uh, reading league state chapter leaders worked with their teams to develop over 200 sessions in one year alone. That's a lot. Um, and so that's just going to keep growing. So that's kind of the main ways that we get knowledge to teachers, whether we're directly in their schools, um, them coming to us for online um, work, going to our conferences or um, state chapter events. What we're also mindful of is those stakeholders. So just last October, many people listening probably are aware that we launched this compass is what we call it. And that's readingleague.org backslash compass. Great way to uh, um, learn a lot uh, quickly. So the com a compass is not a map. A map tells you exactly how to go somewhere, but a compass will point you in the right direction. So I have examples of administrators again. I just talked to uh, an administrator in New York State who was a student of mine 10 years ago. He's now an elementary school principal. And he's a little frustrated because He's in a district that is um, not exactly embracing the science of reading. They're fine as they are. No, thank you. So he's like, what do I do? How do I, you know, where can I start? And we went onto the compass together. If under He clicked on the administrator compass point and it just takes you through everything. Um, an explanation of how important admins are, call, their call to action, um, everything from videos from other administrators, um, papers they can read, podcasts they can listen to, audio docs, 
um, you name it, steps they can take. So I told them, spend some time in there and call me back in two weeks and we'll keep going. But the compass is a phenomenal tool that we're very proud of. I think in um, when we announced it in October, um, just in the month of October alone, we had, God, I don't know how many thousands of individuals go on that place and and it's been very helpful so state ed departments are using it it's got the only interactive map of the united states you can click on any state you want and the kind of legislation or initiative you're looking for and it lights up you know like if you click on um, early screening legislation you click on that and you'll see all the states that have that Mm. and um, you can make your selections do the, so, do, do the state chapters have yeah. a, a playbook or guidelines that come from the reading league or are they allowed to kind of do oh, the thing or is that, you, yeah. you, you know where I'm going with that question. Is sure. it yeah, free fall or is there structure? <laughs> free fall. That's no, um, I, I'm smiling big because I remember when we first cons- got asked, we need, we need a chapter here. We need a chapter in our state. I'm like, what? No, we can't do that. How does one do such a thing? Well, we examined many, many models. Um, how does Alzheimer's Association do it? How does uh, Dyslex- International Dyslexia Association, what are their models? What do they require? And then we thought, this is why I'm laughing and smiling kind of like, how are we going to keep quality control? And I'm just so proud because Joshua, like, if you knew these chapter leaders and get them in a room, I just want to shrink back in the corner and listen to them. Like, they are experts. They are brilliant. They get it. They are living the mission. They are exemplifying the the mission. And so quality control has never come up as an issue. Um, They... They put on events that are amazing. We do support them with things like um, um, assets, design assets, logos, colors, uh, um, basic website setup. We have monthly meetings and our our amazing um, state chapter director, um, Andrea Setmeyer in Indianapolis. She, She provides monthly meetings with whatever they need. Maybe they need help with fundraising. Maybe they choose to have um, events with two or three other state chapters. But really, um, we're there to support them. And um, it's, a, it's a heavy lift because we know that they are all volunteers. We were there ourselves when we first started out. We didn't all leave our jobs that minute. We kind of did it, did this on the side. So, um, I'm, I love when they go arm in arm with maybe their IDA, um, lead branch person or their decoding dyslexia group people, and they work together to put on an event in their state. Um, but no, it's not, it's, it's, a very good model that we're happy with and they seem to feel very well supported and the second we hear someone doesn't feel supported, it's it becomes a concern here and we fix it. Are there any facets of curriculum that are kind of t- tried and true when it comes to, you know, 
getting someone you know on the road and pathway to 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 reading it, it seems like you have folks who are well this is what we've always done this is what really works and then there always seems to be an education a new way to do things ah maybe it works and maybe it doesn't but yeah. do you have any of those tried and trues that you like to share with with your district saying hey you know this is really what's effective in your classroom right okay that's easy um and first of all can i for people who may not know what is the science of reading so that's why we made this defining guide um i haven't even mentioned what it is have i <laughs> well there's and, no no better time than the present no there's no better time and <laughs> you're all going to have to be blown away with this definition. It's so sick. I'm just being sarcastic. The science of reading is a vast interdisciplinary body of scientifically based research about reading and issues related to reading and writing. <laughs> so um, it's if you think about it, that definition and the word science of reading, the, the word to pay attention to is science. We're talking about findings from a certain kind of research. So then this defining guide talks about um, the type of question being asked determines the method of research. If there are questions about the causal relationships between what kind of instruction works and student outcomes, hopefully better ones, well, that's those kinds of questions are best answered with a scientific or experimental um, research design. In our world, there are many valuable ways of knowing about something. Um, you can learn about psychology. You can delve into the brain itself, the structure. You can go into become more spiritual pursuits, like like just what happens in our brains. Or um, anyway. <clears throat> Qualitative studies, um, observational studies, case studies, those are all also equally valuable. And they are very good ways of knowing about why a particular student does this, an individual student, or why Mrs. Jones's class seems to blah, blah, blah. You know, um, um, but if you want to know about tens of thousands of students, <laughs> that's different. Um, but taken all together, we need all kinds of research. The problem is that this kind has been sidelined. So we have to really get it out there. And, and what the science of reading is not, it's not a philosophy. It's not a pendulum swing. So a lot of people say, well, it's always, it'll be something else in 10 years. No, um, science is, the way science works is that it kind of is a rock and it thuds, it gets heavier and heavier and more refined, more defined. You know, you polish the rock, you chisel it, it gets, maybe the rock gets bigger because of some heated up thing or whatever. But what really swings is our approaches to teaching. And when it swings a lot, when there are philosophies or theories being bandied about. So for instance, um, the word revolution behind you or the word road on your um, um, mic arm there. When I look at those words, they just pop into my head. I don't have to sound them out, right? It seems very much that when I look at those words, they just are read by, as whole chunks, right? And I, I 
ask anyone else listening right now to look down at print and try not to read it. You can't not read print once you're a skilled reader. So unfortunately, because it seems like every time we read, we just look at, we read the word as a whole chunk. We have been for a long, 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 long time teaching reading as whole words. So sending kids home with index cards you know, here's a hundred words you need to know before kindergarten's out or um, having word walls, you know, under the letter C that has a cat on it for K. You have the word city. Hmm, that's weird. C doesn't say K in city or the word child. Hmm, C doesn't say K. So a lot of our instruction has, is a little head scratchy, right? It's like, hmm. Why are we teaching it this way? It doesn't seem to really be um, yielding great outcomes either. So the science, I, I have a small sampling to answer your question. Sure. The instructional practices that are aligned with the findings from that kind of research mm -hmm. are that um, instruction in uh, letter knowledge, obviously the sounds and names of our letters, and phonemic awareness, that's the sounds that those letters and uh, represent, are absolutely critical, and that's a no-brainer. However, I am very, I have a lot of time under my belt, uh, having been in schools where they never taught phonemic awareness, although this was something that was learned about in like the 70s. So I was <laughs> in schools in the 80s and 90s and 2000s where they hadn't even touched it yet. It took a while. They're getting there. Um, instruction has to be explicit and systematic. So it has to, we don't leave it to chance. A lot of our instruction in schools is very child-centered. A lot of choice, a lot of in, in um, incidental learning instead of um, explicitly pointing out how the language is um, represented by um, print. Um, and then we want to have kids practicing all these things in connected text that gives them opportunities to practice exactly what we just taught, starting with basic um, words, building up to more complex patterns, and making sure that Kids can read accurately and automatically. And a lot of the text in the past has been anything but that, a lot of guess reading. So it would be um, a lot of predictable text with a sentence stem. I see a blank in the sky. All the kids have to do is practice, know that sentence. And then the blank has a picture on the page. I see a bird in the sky. I see a cloud in the sky. I see a plane in the sky. I see a hippopotamus in the sky. They don't even have to read hippopotamus because there's a picture of one. Um, so that's what we've qualified as reading, just looking at the whole word. You see in classrooms a lot where the word is outlined with a shape as though that's going to cue you in by shape, but the word happy and hoppy and um, hippy, you know, they all have the same shape. <laughs> You know, so mm -hmm. anyway, um, instructional practices then have um, really in, um, included visual memorization of whole words, guessing from context and picture cues. So that's getting the word off the page. Some of those, those are some samples. 
there's also instructional practices aligned with um, language comprehension. So it's very um, aligned with the evidence base to do read-alouds from a variety of more complex texts. So before kids can read, we should be reading to them. And that builds their knowledge about words and or their world and vocabulary. So how else are you gonna word, learn words like coax and exhausted and suspicious and sinister and, you know, uh, stagnant? Like you don't hear those words in everyday language. But um, you get those from, believe it or not, children's texts. Robust conversations to develop academic language and um, all kinds of other vocabulary and grammatical pieces that help words on a page make sense. And then, um, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other instruction that has gone against those basic tenets. So nothing, I hear myself and I know I'm not saying anything that would surprise an outsider. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense what I'm saying, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's, and it's funny. <laughs> and I'll take a minute to joke. All yeah. of those words you just said, except stagnant, describe behaviors in the way that I deal with my five-year-old daughter. <laughs> How so? Suspicious, <laughs> folks, uh, you know, all of those, yes, yeah, those okay. all fit right into my life right now. Anyway. <laughs> get back to the podcast <laughs> well that makes sense then that they're in children's books because those are fun for kids to hear that mom had to coax her back into bed or exactly the, and the kids were making a commotion out in the hall you it's know quiet, but that's yeah. kind of suspicious yes yes <laughs> i did want to ask a quick question here um yeah. as we start to wind the podcast down you know we're talking about these method you know the methodology behind reading how important has it, or maybe it isn't at all, um, mm -hmm. when it comes to subject matter and the different audiences that are learning to read? Does that play a large role? So you mean so, like con different contents? Um, exactly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Without even saying, absolutely. So when we're, and what should be happening too is you don't want to be learning to read in a vacuum of just learning to read. You should be learning to read about skeletal systems, electricity, weather patterns, um, different cultures, and you name it. You know, there's you should be learning social studies, history, science of all kinds, math with, with while you're also reading. And then um, I think the second part of your question was different audiences. So mm -hmm. are you talking about adults and teenagers and? Or... Sure, 100%, because we know uh -huh. that the reading issues and the literacy issues we're seeing in this country probably start, obviously, at the early years. But mm -hmm. what happens when you are now 14 or you are 28 and you're still struggling to read? Obviously, very, very different audiences. Yeah, and um, I'm not happy to respond that it's bleak it's very bleak because it's it's i don't want anyone listening to this to think bleak means impossible i mean um it's bleak because the by by the time you're in intermediate elementary and especially middle school and especially especially high school and beyond 
the people responsible for teaching you have a curriculum and it does not include basic literacy and I'm sorry, reading instruction. So um, there is not likely unless there's a special ed program that really does um, build up your reading, no matter where you're coming from, maybe you're still even at a kindergarten or first grade level, uh, you're going to have to be in a school where they prioritize that and um, have educators willing to do it. I know if I drive in probably any direction, I know I'm thinking of one high school in particular, about 50 minutes or so from here, I don't know. Uh, I know that they have 200 students reading at a second grade level, and this is a high school. <laughs> so wow. what, what do you do? Do you stop the presses? Do you say, we're going to just not give you your content, but teach you, but not teach you how to read it yourself? <laughs> and to me, the converse is even an uglier well, I guess that's the ugliest situation. I might did it backwards. I don't know. You, because how's that person reading at a second, third, fourth grade level going to do? You know, are they going to be okay? And will having learned the content about photosynthesis and music and art and all that help be the thing that helps them survive that? I don't know. This keeps me up. <laughs> it hurts my jaw. It hurts my heart. I'm not alone in that. Um, and, but this, and isn't, it, this, this isn't something that's impossible to, to no. take on, that no. there have been results. And this is something that we can look forward to as being, you know, there is a solution. There is something that we can do to, to correct yeah. this. Yeah. So we have literally got the answer to low literacy. And now we just have to make sure it gets out to everyone and gets done with an intentional urgency. They're, these children are so smart. I say this all the time. Um, these kids know the every Pokemon. I don't even know if Pokemon are popular anymore. I think they're still on the shelves, but they know what they <laughs> morph into and their power levels. They know World Wrestling Federation wrestlers and their stats, there's baseball, their basketball, their heroes their music, they know things. If their dad's a hunter, they know all about ducks or deer. And But we can't manage to get them basic print concepts in, in preschool and kindergarten. That's unacceptable. And being able to hear sounds and speech and discern them and apply that in some simple books has to be part of a day with intentionality and urgency. If kids aren't getting it, we have to use the most valid and reliable assessments that really indicate who's in trouble with accuracy and diagnosis for us what to do. There has to be an answer. What do they need tomorrow right now that I can give them? And then we do that and we keep an eye on them. And that's the ticket. And then we don't let them go second, third, fourth grade, not reading. We just don't let that happen. That has to mm -hmm. be a no, not on my watch. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the kind of talk I want to hear from all administrators. They need to stand up and say, I have unfinished learning as well. And I'm going to be there with you. Let's learn together. Not on my watch. No way. So 
So how can anyone get involved with uh, with the Reading League? What's the easiest way for them to reach out to you, whether they are an administrator, whether it's a family, a parent, a guardian that's also interested yeah. in what they can do? How do they get yes. involved? Um, keep um, The Compass is fantastic. Go to The Compass. Uh, read your part. If your part isn't there yet, stay tuned. We will be adding more Compass points this year, especially for parents and caregivers. Uh, parents right now, if you have littles that are learning to read, we do have a free television show called The Reading League's Reading Buddies. It has its own um, website that is on a soft launch right now, soft launch right now, but I'll tell it to you anyway. It's um, trlreadingbuddies.org is the website. You can also watch it for free on YouTube. We've got, I think, close to 300 or 30,000 uh, followers on that uh, YouTube channel already. So that is a phenomenal way to learn um, print, how to form letters, what the letters, the sounds, how to put them together, how to blend them, how to segment them, and so forth. So that's uh, fantastic. Um, the website will have a lot of downloads that parents can use coming soon to um, print. The kids can earn little badges for every sound they learn. It's really cute. Follow the Alphabeteers, real cute, beautiful children from here from Syracuse. Um, you can call your PBS station and have them um, pick it up for free. Um, they will know how to get it. If And um, yeah, I guess that's for parents and family members, other stakeholders, um, go to the readingleague.org and get a copy of the Science of Reading Defining Guide, send it to your school board, send it to your administrators. Um, ask everyone you know to read, or I'm sorry, uh, listen to the audio podcast by Emily Hanford called Sold a Story. It's a multi-part audio podcast that was in like the top whatevers of podcasts <laughs> or whatever in 2023. Um, social media groups, we have, the Reading League has some. If you're an educator, get the Reading League journal come to our conference. I mean, we just, uh, there's tell a lot us. going on. Yeah. We have an info website on their website. Um, by all means, um, contact us. If there's something I didn't answer, we are happy to hear from you and we consider the league. Don't talk about it as you or yours, you know, don't say, what are you doing at the reading leagues? What are we doing? Sure. It's ours. It's us. So we like that kind of social movement language. Well, that wraps right back to something that you said in the beginning of the podcast about skin in the game. And we all have skin in the game. And yep. the work that you're doing is phenomenal. And we were asking uh -huh. everybody who's listening, thank to you. Go check out the Reading League. And uh, Dr. Thank you. thank you so much for being part of the Reading Revolution. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I love I it. You've enjoyed your time too. I, I really have. I love your name, Reading Revolution. Great. Thanks Wish again. Thank you. All right. Great. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Reading Revolution. Keep staying tuned on your favorite platforms for podcasting. We've got a lot of great guests coming up in the coming weeks. We will see you then the next time we're here on The Reading Revolution. My name is Josh Gregory. I am your humble host. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us.